0: Grounded. I am your host, Brian Willie, along with my co-host, John Kesselring. Episode 71 features the former head coach of Brainerd High School, Ron Stolsky. In this episode, Coach Stolsky relives his coaching career spanning 58 years and details some of the core tenets of his coaching philosophy, recommendations for building a staff and culture, and advice for longevity in today's coaching profession. Finally, Coach shares what he hopes to be his legacy in coaching as he wraps up a coaching career for the ages as one of Minnesota's most winningest coaches in history. He is without a doubt a coach for the ages and a treasure of the state of Minnesota. This season, Intentionally Grounded is partnering with First Down Playbook. For coaches looking for a playbook software that is user friendly and can deliver the clarity necessary to share and communicate your scheme with coaches and players alike, check out First Down Playbook. For more information, check out their website at firstdownplaybook.com. And for our listeners of our show, Enter the code IGFB20 when purchasing individual or program memberships to receive a discount at checkout. Again, that code is IGFB20. Don't forget to check out our website at IGFootballCoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. And check out our newly released YouTube channel that houses the video cast version of our podcast episodes as well, along with additional content related to leadership, football, and coaching development. Season 3, Episode 21 of Intentionally Grounded with Coach Ron Stolsky starts now. We're joined today by Coach Ron Stolsky. Coach, tell us a little bit about your background in coaching. Well,
1: it's interesting. Uh, Brian, I grew up north of Minneapolis, uh, and we played park board football. And uh, as a youth, I played there. Uh, and my, my younger brother, who was three years younger than me, they had a park board team as well. But they needed uh, to sign, once they signed the kids up, they needed uh, to uh, uh, sign somebody's name on the bottom to coach. So they signed mine. And uh, so I started coaching at age 13. And uh, me and another uh, kid, I guess we probably had a couple of parents. In any case, we won the city championship at 13. And I literally had been coaching most of my life. When I played in high school, I coached. A few years in college, I didn't, but other than that, that was the beginning. Coach, how would you describe the culture of the programs that you've overseen in your career, including uh, Brainerd? And then what are some of the values that you've tried to instill in your players? Well, the cultures, you know, culture is a, a word that's used fairly freely. Uh, it all depends where you are in, in one sense, at least the last – 45 years of my career, uh, when I started, I started in a little tiny town, and, and frankly, there was no uh, football culture, and, uh, and we had good success there, and then we moved on, and then we moved on, and then we moved on, and I'd say this, uh, uh, we created a theme, we call it, Brainerd uh, would call it The Warrior Way, and it's based on, on, uh, uh, on uh, compassion and care. And caring about one another and, and, uh, and having respect for yourself and for your teammates, for school, community, and so on. So I, I guess I would, if, if I had to, in a sentence or two, I'd say we have a culture of caring. And uh, we have disciples uh, that uh, contact me often, especially after uh, last season. And it's uh, coach, I always knew you cared. And uh, that's what we expected from our team, uh, to care about one another, care about the game, but primarily care about being a a good kid. And uh, so I'd say it was a culture of care. Now, in in terms of football, uh, be prepared, be prepared, be prepared. When I was a young coach, I thought the best way to coach would just kick the doors down and uh, with a lot of fire and enthusiasm and we could win. And then somewhere along the line, you realize you have to coach football, too. And those two combinations uh, uh, has helped us along the way.
0: Coach, when it comes to building a staff, what are some of the characteristics and values you look for in your assistant coaches?
1: I'll get right back to the culture I just talked about. I was fortunate. I was also a Brian and Athletic Director for 24 years. I was fortunate to sit on the NIA Triple Board of Directors nationally. Uh, I was fortunate to receive a number of uh, awards, blah, blah, blah. But the first thing I looked for in a coach is that he was a good teacher and that he cared about kids beyond the game itself. Uh, then the second thing, of course, was a work ethic. I never wanted to hear from a coach. And I hired, as an AD, I hired coaches at every level in every sport. And I didn't want to hear although it was natural enough. I really love to come to Brainerd because I like to fish or hunt or something like that. I wanted to know how they felt about the profession. You know, uh, when we choose a life in teaching or coaching, we choose to try to make a difference in the lives of the people we touch. And I wanted to make sure that who I interviewed had that at least in in their background. I want to make a difference and not just as a football coach uh, and coach winning football teams, but uh, maybe in some ways I can influence kids. So that was the first thing. The second thing is I want to know about a work ethic. You know, the good coach is turning the lights on in the morning and turn, the first to turn the lights on and, they're, and they're the last to turn the lights off. And I wanted a coach who would be committed to his, to his craft. And third, I think professionals must never cease learning I wanted coaches who were willing to go to clinics. Uh, of course, today with, uh, with the technology boom in the last five, six, seven years, maybe there's too much information, but I wanted a coach to, who uh, wanted to be a professional in every way. And uh, those three things, the rest I thought we could help teach one another. So those are the three things. First, you care about kids, you care about your profession. Second, you really care about teaching. And, and third, you're a, you're a hard worker that, that, as I said, you'll be there when the bell rings. Coach, if you had to give advice for a first-time head coach who's inheriting a program, what would your most valuable piece of advice be? If he's inheriting a program, is he the first-time coach, or is he been a coach on the staff and going to a program? Uh, we'll go first-time head coach, first-time head coaching job. Okay, first-time head coaching job, as I say, the first thing is learn as much as you can about the job uh, that you're getting, uh, whether whether you are on that staff and just moving up or whether you're moving from one school as maybe an assistant, go ahead to being a, a, a header. Uh, get a hold of the uh, roster. Um, learn, learn as much as you can about the kids as fast as you can. Uh, and secondly, uh, I will refer to my answer earlier. You must be present. You must be the first one there in the morning. You must be the last to leave. You must walk through that locker room and talk to kids how to go today. You must put their armor on. Kids need to know that you care about them. They need to even – I've come to it over many years. Kids got to like you. You don't have to be a buddy. Never. I always say to my staff, don't be a buddy. They got all kids have got all kinds of buddies, but be a friend. Uh, and then be sure you either have a collection of plays or you have a philosophy as to how you, you know, how you want to field a team. And be sure that uh, you coach what you know, not what somebody else knows, but you learn more about, what you know or what you want to know along the way. And you do that through clinics and uh, through uh, mentors, through getting a hold of other coaches. and Never be afraid to ask a question. But sit in the front row of clinics. Nothing can beat face-to-face interaction uh, with, uh, with our colleagues because coach, coaches, as you know, football coaches in particular, love to share. I've never been to a I'm, – I'm a clinic guy. Still at my age, I'm a clinic guy. And I've never been to a clinic where when, uh, I didn't learn something from somebody just through chatting, or maybe, maybe I helped somebody out. But learn as much as you can about the school, the kids, you've got the job, you know that, and then be sure you have a plan. Don't just sort of wing it. Be sure you know what you want to do and coach what you know and what you've learned along the way.
0: Coach, you've been able to be around the profession for about 58 years now, 45 of which were at Brainerd High School. How are you able to coach so long and thrive for so long when the coaching longevity in our profession today continues to get smaller and smaller?
1: Well, a couple of things. Maybe this is really helpful. First of all, passion lasts a lifetime. Excitement is temporary. And uh, since a kid, uh, again, growing up in North Minneapolis, I always knew there's somewhere in this office there, there's some article somewhere that says Solskjaer always knew he wanted to be a coach. I always knew I wanted to be a coach. I loved the game. I loved the game of football in particular. And I knew I wanted, uh, I, I wanted to be a coach. So wherever I went, I brought the passion with me, the desire to be a coach. And not just to win a lot of games, although I guess early on that is paramount is to interact with kids. And so I think I've been able to, because of that passion, because it's a, it's a love of my life. I believe in the values of football. I think it's a great metaphor for life. Uh, few games uh, that I can say, and I played about all of them, coached most of them. Uh, but football is the purest metaphor for life. So that passion just just carried me. I never wanted to be anything else but a football coach. And so that—that that itself, and that goal, and that desire, and the love of the game, and the love of the kids that played. So it was simple, for, easy for me to continue on. And then I—I think the second thing that allowed me to coach as long as I have. And by the way, I intend to find a patch of grass uh, next fall with five or with the little fifth or sixth graders rolling around and bringing a ball and say, "Let's coach," or "Let's play." <laughs> Um, I think I've been very fortunate to, to have had very good assistant coaches who have bought into our philosophy. We have a philosophy we call the Warrior Way. And, and if, I were, if I can backtrack a little, if I were to get any coaching advice, I'd say come up with a theme that defines your program. And don't make it annually. This, this is what we believe. This is the Warrior Way. This is how we're going to teach. Uh, this is how we're going to behave, uh, you know, and eventually it becomes a spirit. So I think, I think the love of the game plus uh, the relationships I've been able to form over all those times and then the great assistant coaches that, that I was lucky to have. And then finally, some of the best people I've ever met in my life are in the coaching profession. I get, you're, you're at uh, Fairmont. Tom Mahoney. Uh, when I was a very young coach, Tom Mahoney was a legendary coach at Fairmont, as you know. And he put his arm around me in 1969, and he said, uh, kid, uh, you are you going to coach for the rest of your life? And I said, I sure hella hope so. And he gave me some good advice on things. This is what you should do then. You should become a part of the Football Coaches Association. You should do this. You should do that. And back when Tom finally did retire, he shuffled off maybe volumes of things that you, you guys are looking for because you gave them all to me. So I think it was a passion. I think love of the game and then relationships you formed, not just with your own staff, by the way, but with coaches across the field from you. I have so many friends and so many games that we played against one another and did our best to, to come out on top. But more importantly, it was that handshake at the end of it all. Coach, when you look back at your coaching career, what's the one thing you're most proud of? Well, that's really tough, John, because we're proud of a lot of things. I think, I think being an innovator, I think we we were ahead of our time in a, a, a lot of ways. I think we were we were willing to change. I'm not going to say that's the most thing I'm most proud of, but there were so many coaches along the way that I started with. We were a young fraternity. And you talk about going to clinics and stuff. We would sleep in the car. We would share, you know, bag lunches. We would, there was a whole raft of us. And somehow or other, and not intentionally, it just kind of outlasted them. And some of them had very long and storied careers. But along the way, you just learn that you have to adapt and change to the times. You either manage change or it manages you. And I think we're willing to do that. But if you ask me what I'm most proud of, I think I'm most proud of the kids that come back, the families that come back, the legions of, of kids that played ball for us and their parents who appreciated our message, who appreciated that we did the best we could for them. We cared a lot about them. And whenever I see a kid today on the street, they'll shake my hand. I may be not even recognize You know, they're older. Sometimes not nearly often enough, you get a chance to be a part of something greater than yourself, and it starts with the belief that we can. And that mantra has been on on my wall in in the locker room in Bringer since 1975. And every kid that has ever played for us learns that. And the letters that I get, or the notes that I get, I think it's mostly about coach you really cared about us. So if if that's it. Uh, that's good enough for me. Plus, we have so many uh, – we've coached so many uh, people in construction, so many in the service, so many in the military, so many doctors, so many lawyers, so, so many teachers, so many counselors, so many men of the clergy, So many, and, and that I'm, – I'm proud of that because so often they'll get back and say, the lessons I learned in football, in warrior football, carry me. I guess I'm most proud of that.
0: Now your coaching resume is certainly one of the greatest in the state of Minnesota um, and likely we'll ever see going forward. However, when the record books and historians of Minnesota high school football look back at the legacy of Ron Stolsky, what do you want mm-hmm. to be remembered for?
1: He had a passion for the game. He he loved those who played it and coached it. He gave it everything he had. And he hopes it was enough. Pages turned, the chapters closed, the book not finished.
0: Coach, to end kind of on a, on a positive and a light note, you have quite the story about your first job in, in Kentington, Minnesota, that you shared with me when we first had our first phone conversation. So, um, to end on that story, I think it's just a phenomenal story about how you got into coaching. Could you share that first story with our audience?
1: Well, I will. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but I use a brogue with it. Um, I played at McAllister College. I played at Patrick Henry High School and McAllister College and had great influences along the way. And as I said earlier, I always knew I wanted to be a coach. And in uh, 1962, I was applying for my first job. Uh, uh, in Kensington, Minnesota, which is uh, about 100 and some miles west uh, south, west, and south of the Twin Cities, just about 20 miles uh, west of uh, Alexandria. So I'm driving up there. Um, my, we, my wife and I had just had our second daughter. I'm in the only suit I ever owned, a powder blue suit that I wore to our junior prom. I got a junker car and I'm excited as I'll get out to, to interview for this job. So I get to Kensington, a town of about 300, maybe. And uh, the, uh, the main street's two blocks long, and at the end of the main street is a beautiful brick building, and it housed the school. Now, the school uh, had uh, 21 kids in the senior class, so you can imagine the size of it. It was a K through K-12 school, and the football was eight-man football, football that I had, frankly, had never even seen before. In any case, I get out of uh, my car, uh, walk into the school. It was late May, and uh, the first person I see is uh, a man dressed up in a, in, a, in a nice brown suit and a fedora hat and tie, and I assumed that uh, – School was not in session. I assumed that was the, the superintendent, a man named Elmer Rosted. So I went up to him and I said, uh, Mr. Rosted. And and uh, the man looked at me and said, Well, hell no. He says, uh, I'm Elford. He says, I'm, uh, I'm the maintenance man here, the janitor, you know. But he said, You're looking for Tug. He said, He's right down there at the end of the hall. So I walked down the, the hall. It was kind of shadowy. There weren't any lights on. And I meet a man, a huge, strong man who uh, had more patches on his pants than I had ever seen, uh, a uh, a flannel uh, check shirt, a cigarette in his mouth. And uh, he looked at me and he said, "Stolsky, uh, Stolsky," he says, uh, you're here, here for the football position now. I said, well, yes, I am. And Mr. Rose said, well, I said, let's go into my office. And he says, uh, we'll talk about it. So we, we walked, uh, it was a wood floor. And we walked into this kind of large, spacious office. And I noticed he's walking ahead of me. And I noticed that there was a um, extension cord bouncing along right behind him uh, off of uh, his waist. And we went to this kind of spacious imagine old school office and he sat down He reached over and plugged himself in and he says hemorrhoids he says damn death but good and what he had done was tied a heating pad to his backside uh, with a with a dish towel and he had hemorrhoids and he plugged himself into that heating pad and that was my first meeting with uh mr rosette Well, we visited a while about the job. I was going to teach six classes, um, be assistant, be the head football coach, assistant basketball, have the yearbook, uh, the homecoming, the class play, and be head track coach and teach six separate classes. Uh, And uh, there wasn't a track. We ended up running around the school. But we did one in the district because we had some kids.
0: Well, in any event,
1: he said, where would you like to see the field in? I said, I sure would. So we walked out the back door and all the way up, Now I remind you, on Highway 55 West, was going through beautiful towns, Bruton and Belgrade and uh, Annandale earlier and Glenwood, and seeing all these beautiful lighted fields along, you know, close to the highway. So we started walking across this field, and there was a grove of trees about 200 yards out. And I assumed that the field was behind the, that grove of trees. So we're getting in the middle of the field now. Remember, it's, it's a late May, so the weeds are up almost, uh, you know, it's certainly to your waist. And he stopped, and he, says, uh, he said, well, this is it. And I said, well, this, this is what? I remember, I'm a kid from the Twin Cities. He said, this is the field. Well, I said I don't see any goalposts, and he took a drag again of that cigarette, and he says, "Hilosowski hey, says we haven't scored here in five years." <laughs> I just, I'm paraphrasing. now <laughs> that explains no no scoreboard, and I said I looked I looked left and right. I was learned learned later that you look east and west, and I said that not look a hundred yards long, and he said. Well, he says that we never measured, uh, but he says, you know, we cut it in the fall. So, uh, I, mean, I don't know what to think now, I'm a young kid, I don't know, 21, something like that, what, what would I have been? Yeah, 22, going on 23. And any, anyway, he says, I'd like to take you out to meet uh, uh, the chairman of the board, he says. So I said, all right, we get in this pickup truck and we head towards Cyrus, Minnesota. We get halfway and uh, get out of the truck. And here's a, a farmer plowing just the deepest, richest black soil you've ever seen. And I, I, I was about to learn a little bit about small town politics. So the farmer came our way, got off the, got off the uh, tractor, shut her off and, and Mr. Rosa, I, I was learning Later to call him Tug, that was his nickname. Tug said to Maynard Spilsett, the chairman of the board, he said, Maynard, he says, uh, I want you to meet young Stolsky here. He's here for that football position. And Maynard Spilsett looked at me and a little bit of snuff coming out of the corner of his mouth and he said, Stolsky, Stolsky, he says, what religion are you then? And what I was to learn was that the man who owned the grain elevator was Catholic, and the man who owned the one, the little cafe in town was Catholic. The rest were all Lutherans. Well, I'd been raised Catholic, but when my wife and I uh, decided to marry, uh, I didn't want uh, a double, you know, two different religions of family, so I changed that, which is fine with everybody. So I said, I'm Lutheran. Smith has looked at uh, Tug and looked at me, and says, he looks good enough to be Tug. So that's how I got the job. First year, uh, we had three kids come out to the first practice. Three. Three. Now, remember, it was uh, eight-man football, so we were five short. Uh, We ended up with uh, 13. Uh, We had 11 at our first game. We played Marietta, uh, Minnesota. I'll never forget that. And, um, uh, only 11 kids showed up because two got jobs paying. I remember every name of every boy in that team. Maynard Spell boy, David was our quarterback and never played football, but was a great jump shooter in basketball. We lost our first, uh, four games. And the fifth game was homecoming. And, uh, we had a player who had been ill, uh, for the first month of the season he was back and in any case we won uh in eight-man football this happens sometimes we won 56 to nothing we'd be brandon minnesota and by now of course we had gold posts because my brother and i had come up in the summertime and built them and put them up and uh tug and i are dancing a jig in the middle of the field and i hear the sound of a 57 chevy and i look over and hear a couple of the farm kids and put uh, heavy ropes on the goalposts, and we're tearing them down. And I said to to, to Tug, now remember, the whole town's out in the middle of the field, uh, jump up and down, they had money, you know, this and that. And I said, Tug, look what they're doing to our goalposts. Oh, he says, don't worry, stolsky, we'll have them up again by noon tomorrow. In the middle of it all, Vern Johnson, who owned the bowling alley, and I uh, had four alleys, but he had a little lunch counter with six uh, stools in it. Vern went wild and said, hamburgers for everybody. In the town of Kensington and our 13 players walked down Main Street, everybody following him, ham- we all had hamburgers. The sidebar on that is we never lost another game that year or the next. No, we lost one the next year by one point. Uh... I then moved on. I never wanted to move. I could have stayed at Kensington forever, but I got a phone call. And when I left, there was a lighted field and stadium there. But the, the most important thing was I learned that Tug Rostad was a great leader. I learned things from Tug. He cared so much about the faculty and the kids there. And Maynard Spilseth and his wife Agnes, and my wife, me and my wife Sharon, and our two little girls over every other Sunday for dinner. It was a great experience for us, and one I'll never forget, and when we, when we won our 300th game in the Brainerd year, there was a lot of fireworks and all of that, and out of the mist came five of the players that were on that original 1962 team.